What's up, listeners? Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadow's weekly threat intelligence podcast. I'm sorry to say that Charles will not be joining us today because he is taking some very well-deserved PTO. But on the line with me, I have Rick and Alec, our standard suspects. But I'm also very excited to say that we have a new guest joining us, Austin. Austin, how's it going? Hey, Casey, Alec, Rick. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to... uh talk about cyber yeah we're excited to have you all right cool so with that with that said let's go ahead and uh roll right into uh our first topic austin we know that you have some uh really great knowledge on this specific topic and you and i are actually co-writing a blog about it right now so this perked up the ears of a lot of people and it involved a the department of justice unsealing an indictment on um Sandworm, the Sandworm Threat Group, which is associated with the GRU. So Austin, can you give us kind of some information of who Sandworm is and what they've previously done? Yeah, so Sandworm, it's an advanced persistent threat group, and they're, they're linked to Russia's GRU, as was outlined in that indictment. And they have a pretty extensive history, you know, going all the way back to 2009. Uh, this indictment lined out just the destructive nature of some of these attacks uh, which is actually kind of aligned with what the GRU wants to accomplish, um, kind of in-your-face tactics. Yeah, they are they are full throttle adversaries. They uh, full spectrum, I guess, to use a military term, but uh, full throttle in-your-face threat actors. Yeah, yeah, actually, on that note, I'm looking around the room, and everyone here is at least in some way associated with the military, except for myself. <laughs> so, actually, yeah, U.S. U.S. Army to be even more specific. Yeah, fin- yeah finally, finally, <laughs> just Army. I love it. Yeah, no, I'll be the I'll be the outlier of this. But sorry, Austin, go ahead. No, you're good. I, I didn't even make that connection. That's that's interesting. Um, so yeah, there there are tactics. Like I said, they're overt, um, but you know they also kind of use some uh, deceptive tactics as well. They try to uh, deceive people into thinking that he might be another APT. In one case, they were trying to disguise themselves as Lazarus Group. Um, but so their attacks, some of the most notable ones uh, in the in the past five years, have been on in Ukraine. They're using Ukraine kind of as a cyber playground to just test out how far they can go and. They did two separate attacks in December 2015 and December 2016, knocked out the power to 225,000 Ukrainian citizens. Uh, they're also known for the NotPetya malware attacks in 2017. Um, they are also retaliated against the Olympics and in 2018, and the, the, most of their targets have been um, you know, either European Union, uh, NATO targets, or in their, their objective typically uh, is in line with what the overall strategic national objectives of the, of Russia is. Yeah, that's all, that's all really interesting. I mean, like what Rick was saying earlier, I mean, they're heavy hitting, they're in your face, they're wreaking all kinds of havoc across all these different networks. So it's, it's really interesting to kind of see this global law enforcement reaction come back onto these individuals. Um, so can you kind of give us an idea of what some of their main TTPs are um, that they've used to carry out their attacks? Yes. Yeah, so for, for initial access, they're doing what, what a lot of the other APTs are doing, social engineering, phishing uh, through uh, malicious word docs, um, you know, click, clicking on links, 
their victims clicking on links. Uh, they're also using spear phishing as an initial attack vector, but they're also making use of uh, zero-day exploits, specifically uh, a, a remote code execution vulnerability in Microsoft Windows 10. Um, they also, which we wrote an intelligence summary about, uh, were using a vulnerability in the mail transfer agent Exum, uh, which allowed them to disable network security settings and uh, use Secure Shell to exploit some of their victims. Uh, but I, th I think what the most interesting part about um, Sandworm is, is their, their custom malware and just the destructive nature of it. They can, they have different, the different ones for different objectives. For example, uh, in the Ukrainian power grid attacks, their malware was called Crash Override. Uh, it was coded to act as an automated energy grid killing weapon. Um, the NotPetya malware attacks uh, used fake software updates. They also used phishing tactics. And in the Olympic attacks, they used what was called the Olympic Destroyer malware. And uh, this deleted boot configuration from infected machines, disabled Microsoft Windows services, shut down systems. Um, so yeah, that's, that's some of their initial access and execution. But they're also showing persistence by uh, using backdoors. And um, clearly they can stay on networks for a long time as, uh, as was seen in, in the Ukraine attack, uh, where they just kind of went unnoticed for a long time before actually executing their, their malware. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen other instances of these attackers gaining access to these networks and then just hanging out there until they're finally noticed or in some other times they're just not noticed at all. So definitely scary stuff. And yeah, I was reading through the indictment and the malware that they customize, it, it, again, wreaks havoc on these systems. So, I mean, effectively making them inoperable. So I think it's really interesting to see kind of all this come to the forefront, especially in the law enforcement community. And with that said, we have seen some law enforcement activity going on whenever it comes to the cyber criminal realm. So I guess in general, what do you think this means for this specific threat group and other threat groups? So there's only so much law enforcement can do right now, uh, especially considering an APT like Sandworm is, is sponsored by Russia. So it makes it, hard to extradite a group like this. But uh, the FBI and the Department of Treasury, they've been working together, uh, especially this past year, uh, reminding threat actors that cyber attacks, they're not gonna occur without consequences. The Treasury Department's role is more to sanction the individuals, you know, cut off any access to Western financial institutions they might have. Um, and the indictments themselves from the Department of Justice will also limit their ability to use uh, financial systems in the West. But uh, will limit their ability to travel to any country that uh, has an extradition agreement with the United States. So, you know, these could be a deterrent, um, but not likely considering they continue to, you know, continuously use these uh, tactics and attacks to achieve their, uh, their ends. But uh, it's possible the institutions are taking a more hardline approach, I think, because maybe before the election as a kind of cease and desist message. Um, so I think that's maybe an interesting angle. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, all this is really timely, especially because it relates to Russia and their actions. So yeah, definitely interesting. I'm curious to see what, what's going to come of this and what's going to happen in the future. It seems like it's a, a, a refreshed conversation we've had, you know, with some of the blogs that we did in the past yeah. I don't know, month on law enforcement activity with respect to China, 
And then we had people outside of China that were named as well. It is always kind of interesting. Of course, this threat actor group is pretty brazen um, anyway. So uh, they were, you know, not concerned if you knew who they were. And that was actually part of the uh, part of the uh, part of their MO. I think also, if you look at U.S. response, Austin, you made a good point. Like this was the DOJ component. You know, there's guaranteed ongoing, you know, cyber command in, in, in NSA operations. That's the other side of the story. So I think it's easy when we see the law enforcement side to only be like, oh, oh, what is this going to do? You know, there's joint task force that are doing other types of activities with other types of authorities um, beyond the uh, the DOJ here. One other just small little point, only because I'm like a... a military defense kind of geek you mentioned and i think it's a really good point like ukraine's a testing ground for cyber stuff another one right now that's in the news in the past month is armenia and azerbaijan there's a lot of testing ground stuff going on there and you've got israel russia turkish stuff in there so if you're like a national security geek and you want to follow maybe what's latest and breaking especially with respect to uavs but there's definitely a cyber domain on it. And I actually haven't read too much about the cyber domain and what's going on in that conflict, but that could be another interesting one to see what the, uh, what the, the nation state players are doing there and how that might come to a neighborhood near you sometime in 2021. Oh man, that's kind of unnerving, <laughs> but yeah, good shot there, Rick. I can't say that I'm really the, the biggest nerd whenever it comes to national security or intelligence stuff, but I mean, all this stuff is really interesting and I bet it's sure to, gain the interest of a lot of other people as well. Well, actually, here's like a pro tip for Intel teams. You don't want to have, actually, this is not a good diversity group that you have with three <laughs> people from um, Army backgrounds on the team. But rest assured, listeners, the Digital Shadows uh, Photon team is quite diverse and it's not all military people. And that's a really important part of intelligence analysis anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So uh, in other news, we found some interesting stuff going on with DarkSide. So DarkSide is a ransomware group that was identified in August of 2020, and they've reportedly donated part of their ransom demands to charity organizations. Uh, according to those reports, the group donated 0.88 Bitcoin, which accounts or which translates to about 10,000 US dollars. And that was to Children International, which is a nonprofit for sponsoring children in poverty. And then also the Water Project, which is a nonprofit that aims to provide access to clean and reliable water across Sub-Saharan Africa. So DarkSide has always been really transparent regarding what kind of organizations they target. With actually their initial press release, the group stated several ethical principles that they use to guide their decision-making processes. Uh, even more specifically in that, they claim that the dark side operation will never target critical and vulnerable bodies, and that's such as schools, hospitals, or even governments. So to go even further, the group behind DarkSide states their intent to select targets based on their financial revenue. So this effectively implies that a ransom price is modeled around the victim organization's net income. So unfortunately, neither of the nonprofits were able to accept these donations because it is illegal to receive and use funds that are a result of a crime. Uh, and actually in the group's latest press release, they stated that, quote unquote, we think it's fair that some of the money they've paid will go to charity. No matter how bad you think our work is, we are pleased to know that we helped change someone's lives. 
So we might be feeling a little bit warm in our hearts right now, but we have seen examples of charitable cyber criminals, and that was actually highlighted in one of our previous blogs. So for example, an XSS user requested voluntary donations to help COVID-19 patients and medical staff in Italy and Spain, and that was in exchange for free credentials for accounts with preloaded funds. And then another instance of this occurred on Club to Card, where a user voiced their intention to involve the forum community in their habit of visiting children's homes and donating material goods. So this all feels good and well, but given some cyber criminals' propensity to view charitable efforts as a way to create good karma and negate their crimes, it'll be interesting to see if this actually becomes a recurring element. Yeah, this, is, this one's pretty interesting in the fact that we've heard Various ransomware operators, especially when COVID-19 first came about, um, well, it really kind of took off across the globe in March of 2020. A lot of ransomware operators publicly denounced that they're not going to target any healthcare organizations, uh, any of those tied to that sort of research. But, um, I mean, there's still those that have capitalized in this area because it's such a, it's such a lucrative uh, sector. And so we keep seeing reoccurringly that uh, healthcare, education, those sectors are one of the most targeted. And so it's interesting to see that Darkseid, who you know, is kind of new to the ransomware game, uh, so to speak, it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to stay true to their word because there's quite a few ransomware operators. I mean, the goal here is to make money. And so even though, yeah, we might be good-hearted people, uh, but again, the goal is to make money. And if at the end of the day they're not making money in their current state, then they may uh, look to potentially go outside of what they had originally said and start targeting some uh, institutions that might be related to the healthcare education sectors. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you have Maze back in kind of the beginning, or actually the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic on the global scale. Um, they were claiming that they wouldn't go after healthcare organizations. So some of those ransomware groups did follow in line with them saying, yeah, we won't do it either. But we found that criminals have a really hard time sticking to their promises. So we'll see what happens. All right, sweet. So moving on, uh, Alec. So the Rio ransomware group, they recently conducted an attack that went from phishing to ransomware in five hours. That's really fast. And I actually feel like a fast and furious pun is somewhere in here. Are there any takers between you, Rick or Alec? So I got a, I got a quote, not necessarily a pun, but you can take it however you want. So Dominic Toretto says, ask any racer, any real racer, doesn't matter how much you win by. Winning is winning. My man coming in hot with Dominic Toretto quotes. I love it. <laughs> did you, hey, actually, did you see the news this week about wrapping up the series? I just read this yesterday or Wednesday. I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. So they're going to wrap up the series with a two part finale. So it's basically the Fast and Furious Infinity War type of con conclusion coming up. So stay tuned, all too fast, too furious family and friends. <laughs> hey, maybe we can blog about it. <laughs> you know it. But... <laughs> all right, cool. So Alec, on this Ryuk uh, specific incident. So we've seen these guys leverage access to a system by leveraging the bizarre loader malware, but this attack was kind of different. Can you give us an idea how so? Yeah, so most recently when we saw Ryuk, they went after the Universal Health Services, which impacted hospitals across the United States. Uh, and then in this one, though, in that one there, they were using the Bazaar Loader. In this one, uh, and interestingly enough, they're exploiting the zero logon 
vulnerability that was just recently disclosed. So they essentially just reset the whole machine password of um, the password of the primary domain controller. So instead of taking kind of like the approach of being very slow and cautious at like a lower privilege level and attempting to just uh, then, you know, move laterally or escalate privileges here, they pretty much just reset the password for the entire uh, domain. And then as we mentioned, it was pretty successful in carrying out a ransomware attack within five hours. So, I mean, the whole title of this is that, you know, the phishing to ransomware took only five hours. So it's, it's pretty crazy, pretty interesting in the approach here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's super fast. And I mean, we've been covering mentions of the zero log on vulnerability. And that just kind of goes to show that these vulnerabilities should absolutely be prioritized. Um, and we'll, we've hit that multiple, multiple times. So I guess this kind of does go to show that these attacks are sophisticated in nature, but they still use the same methods. So what are those methods? Yeah, I mean, it's the same over and over again, and it's not going to change because put simply, it just, it works. It's working, and so they're not going to change anything. So brute forcing RDP, uh, it's easy when RDP servers are exposed to the internet, and they're using passwords that don't meet even, you know, your basic password security protocols or uh, requirements. It is crazy. Like, every time we talk about RDP on public-facing services, don't have multi-factor authentication, you know, it's just no matter how many times this happens, you're like, how guaranteed we could pop on Shodan right now and find all kinds of RDP that's publicly facing. I mean, you do need to access RDP, but there are ways to do it securely and people need yeah. help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it needs to be internet facing, set up that RDP gateway and implement network level authentication. That's what I've been giving to so many of our PR requests. And it's like, there's these really simple steps. If it must be interface or internet facing, but yeah, if you don't have to have an internet facing, don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then moving on from RDP, the most, the more sophisticated groups like uh, Ryuk, and we've seen it with Sonokibi, they're going to go ahead and capitalize on vulnerabilities as soon as they really become public. So as the case here with the zero logon vulnerability, um, you know, we've seen historically where Sonokibi was targeting Oracle WebLogic servers. Uh, and so those are, you know, as soon as, it really becomes public as soon as like proof of concepts, you can pretty much expect that many of the prominent ransomware groups, if it's something that they can utilize, then they will. So really here, it's important to prioritize patching, obviously, and then just keeping an ear to the ground as to what the landscape is talking about when it comes to new vulnerabilities. Yeah. Sorry, last, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. So last of all is obviously uh, your phishing, which is something that we always talk about. It's not going to change until it stops becoming so easy. Yeah, for sure. Like phishing and then ex vulnerability exploitation. Those are the top two vectors mostly used by these groups. But I mean, in our uh, one of our recent blogs, uh, Ransomware Trends in Q3, we kind of, well, actually we did it in Q2 as well, but we highlighted the chatter that we see regarding um, cyber criminals talking about these exploits and how they could potentially be used in future ransomware campaigns. So like you said, Alec, keeping your ear to the ground and seeing what exploits come out and if there's any chatter around it can definitely, you know, improve your not getting ransomware risks. <laughs> definitely. Improve your security posture. There we go. That's a much more eloquent way of saying that. Thank you. So there's 
an observed correlation between Ryuk and Conti. And with this new connection in mind and Conti's recent prominence on the ransomware scene, do you think this scenario will fuel future Conti activity? Yeah, so another super interesting topic to talk about the relationship between Ryuk and Conti. So back in like Mayish 2020, when Conti really started to kind of make a name for itself in the ransomware landscape, researchers reporting a lull in Ryuk activity. And so they started to do some comparisons between the two Ryuk and Conti. And they kind of, a lot of researchers concluded that Conti was going to be the replace the replacement for Ryuk. So Ryuk was going to be no longer. Conti was kind of taking over here, um, which, I mean, I understand. There was a lot of similarities in, you know, things such as the ransom notes. They showed, shared similarities there. Uh, and then, again, some of the, the malware analysis kind of led to that conclusion. But it's kind of seeming that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and we see that, like, Ryuk is continually being developed, as you can see here. I mean, this is utilizing a brand-new vulnerability. So... Um, additionally, as I mentioned before, in that attack that impacted uh, universal health services across the, the entire um, state of the entire country of the United States, uh, obviously they're still developing Ryuk. Ryuk's not going anywhere. Um, what I think it could have been, maybe the lull in Ryuk activity could have been that the Ryuk developers were focusing on making Conti more sophisticated, or they could have been just... Um, you know, restructuring or reorganizing the Ryu capabilities and making it more sophisticated um, as well. But yeah, like I mentioned, Conti's not going anywhere, uh, Ryu's not going anywhere, and I expect to see more of that uh, in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So that should wrap us up for all the topics that we wanted to talk about during this podcast. Um, actually, I have a couple of plugs in mind. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, we did just drop the quarterly, quarterly update for ransomware trends in Q3. So if you're interested in that, please have a look. And then we also had another blog drop that kind of goes into the ins and outs of recruitment in the cyber criminal space, kind of mining, minding the threat actor talent gap. Uh, really interesting stuff, especially whenever it comes to human intelligence of cyber criminals. So really excited that we can highlight in this blog. And for next week, keep an eye out for a couple of blogs that we're working on right now. And one of those is a disinformation blog. Um, definitely relevant as we are working our way toward the United States presidential election. And then we're also going to put out a blog on our take on the GRU indictment. So stay tuned for those. So to wrap up, I know that we kind of wanted to start going back to our old tradition of using a really random question. Um, lately, we've been talking about Halloween and candy, but figured we'd kind of pull it back to internet or cybersecurity specific topics. And I kind of wanted to get y'all's idea on what you think the best Wi-Fi name is that you've ever seen. It's a solid question. I'll open the floor for uh, whoever wants to shout out their favorite Wi-Fi name. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite Wi-Fi is my neighbor used their first and last name. <laughs> there you go. Oh, wow. So they are on top of their OPSEC. Yeah, absolutely, which is uh, a huge OPSEC failure. But, um, yeah, don't do that. I would not recommend <laughs> that. <laughs> I've had a few. Uh, I'm, I moved a lot. Um, so I've had like the 
DEA van or the FBI van, you know, those yeah. usual ones. Yeah. Um, I used to have Bill Y, the science fi, which is my favorite one because I love Bill Nye, who doesn't love science. Um, and then right now I have one of my main SSIDs is 5G test tower. So there's I, so uh, many options. My old neighborhood, we had one person that put up Gryffindor as theirs. And then like a week later, we had Slytherin pop up um, from <laughs> another neighbor, which I thought was pretty funny. It made me laugh. And my wife also is a Harry Potter fan, so she got a kick out of that too. So kudos to those old neighbors for uh, keeping it real there. That's awesome. Just starting your own little neighborhood war through your Wi-Fi names. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. I don't know. So I looked up a few here and I think probably my favorites, let's go with the land before time. That one's pretty cool. I think that's great because it's wholesome because it's the land before time, but then land I see what you're doing yeah. there. I like yeah. it. Got it. Got I it. love yep. it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> All right. So that should wrap us up for the week. Thank you so much guests for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks, Casey. Thank you, Austin. I'm glad you got to join us. Yeah, sweet. Thanks so much for joining us, Austin. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Y'all stay safe out there and we'll see you next week. <laughs>